And now we welcome you once again to TV Ate My Dinner Theater. I fell through the blackness, the nothingness of the dark. There I saw the God of the Void. I learned the mystery of shadows, the nothing that is everything. On the seventh day I opened my eyes. Now I see. So many still sleep. I will make them see. Dr. William Matheson, interviewing suspect Sam Lyle, pursuant to court order 57309. It is September 7th, 7.14pm. I've only read reports about this man before, only learned of him through broken down fragments of data that have been homogenized and repackaged to make sense in the same man's world. But it's difficult to use words like psychotic and megalomaniac when you're sitting across the table from someone so normal-looking, so real. He is calm without being indifferent, relaxing in the chair he's chained to, like a king settling on his throne. Sam Lyle, the Morning Star. Good evening, Mr. Lyle. I've been appointed by the court to determine whether or not you're competent to stand trial. Do you understand? I'm very familiar with the procedure. I'm not out to assess your understanding of procedure. The point is to evaluate your understanding of right and wrong, particularly as they apply to the crimes you've committed. Yes, let's talk about right and wrong. Let's begin with some basic facts that we believe may pertain to the events of last year. I want to explore the roots of your condition, your new mindset, if you will. You were injured some time ago, almost killed. One year ago, this New Year's Day. 
You suffered severe head trauma. Spent some time in a coma. Six days. After you awoke from the coma. On the seventh day. You disappeared after that. Abandoned your life. Six months later you were apprehended as a suspect in the murder of eight people. You've admitted to the gruesome slayings of eight different people. This is all correct as you remember it? It is. So let's start with the obvious. Why did you do it? I wait for an answer, but none comes. Why did you commit these murders? I didn't commit any murders. He's still too calm, but at least he's taking an interest. You just agreed that you confessed. Confession is an admission of guilt. Do you understand that? Yes. So are you now recanting your confession? He still seems amused, like he's explaining something I'll never understand. Their deaths weren't the point. They were an unavoidable consequence of their lives. I don't understand. I admit this with irritation. I want to. I need to know what makes a man capable of doing the unspeakable. He grins again, like he knows exactly what I'm thinking. I know you don't. Maybe soon you will. Did you or did you not kill eight people? They died. But murder suggests intent, Doctor. Now we're getting somewhere. So what was your intent, Mr. Lyle? To make them see. He's doing it again. But I can't help being curious. I need to know. Make them see what? Everything. Nice and cryptic figures. What was I expecting him to say? The press linked you to the occult. Would you say that's accurate? Not really. Good. I'm getting under his skin a little too. Well, some people, like the state prosecutor, seem to think that these injuries you caused in your victims were your attempt to give something of a third eye. This is consistent with your contention that you were trying to make them see. Care to comment? He shrugs. I guess you could say that. It makes it sound so new-agey. But in a manner of speaking, I suppose it's true. Hmm. Back to my notes. In your confession, you mentioned trepanation. Would you like to explain that concept to me on the record? He's giving me that patronizing look again. You don't know what trepanation is, Doctor? I want to hear your understanding of it. This answer seems to delight him. I guess there's nothing a megalomaniac enjoys more than explaining his understanding of things. The brain is constricted, bound by our physiology. When we're born, our skulls are soft, pliable. Our brains are free to expand, and our potential for thought and learning is infinite. But soon our skulls become fused, solid, restrictive. In a physical sense, trepanation merely allows the brain to receive more blood, more oxygen, some breathing room, so to speak. 
This frees us to expand our perceptions beyond our preconceptions. There's so much that you don't see, Doctor. Here again, typical delusional rhetoric. So you trip on these people to expand their minds. Yes. So, is trepanation supposed to kill the patient? How many did you have to go through to get it right? He isn't bothered by the question. More than eight. And that's about all I can take for a single session. was still and quiet as they made their way through it. Sam almost wondered if they were in the right place. You never knew what to expect from their line of work. That was the life, a lifetime ago, before he was made to see. Everything seemed clearer then. The world simpler. Things made sense, even if they weren't so. His partner followed close behind. They were always together, it seemed, ever since this case had started. So much had happened, so much time had passed, and it seemed, at last, like they were finally closing in on their quarry. He's here, said Sam, sure of it. We've got him. His partner was convinced, but less certain as to their course of action. He was younger and lacked Sam's clarity, the clarity of obsession. Shouldn't we go call for backup? But Sam wouldn't hear it. There's no time. We play it safe, or we get the bad guy. <sighs> Just once. I'd like a third option. They rounded the corner, only to be forced back by a sudden burst of gunfire. Pressed against the wall behind a stack of packing crates, Sam looked at his partner. You've got a third option. I'm listening. Drawing a blank. <laughs> Thought so. He paused a moment, then a dark resolve overtook his mind. He looked at his partner. Look, he's the guy. We gotta get him. I agree. Just tell me how. Again, a mad delight shone in Sam's eyes. We rush him. The other was not quite so enthusiastic. That's not a plan, Sam. That's just wishful thinking. If you're wishing for a bullet to the head, he doesn't walk away. Even if we don't either. We have him cornered. We can hold him until backup gets here. But he'd hear none of it. I'm going. Back me up or stay here. Without waiting for a response, he rushed into the open. His partner stood to follow, but the shots came quickly, seemingly from all directions. The thunder of the firearms report filled his head, drowning out everything but panic. He fell back, huddling once more against the wall for protection. He returned fire as he went, but only for show. Sam rushed on, heedless of the danger. The jackhammer symphony of gunfire continued and the young man gave up the facade of participating. He set down his weapon and covered his ears, but the sound had become something that existed only in his head, 
so there was no blocking it out. Eventually it settled into a morbid silence, a stillness that was usually born of reverence. He waited for something to stir. Nothing did. Looking out slowly, he saw the still body of their attacker. His momentary relief dissipated as he looked down at the body on the floor ahead of him. Sam was there, quiet as a ghost, still as a gravestone. The young man ran to see to him. Sam! he cried, but the older man seemed not to hear. There was the slight flutter of life in him, but his eyes stared off into nothingness. His mouth hung open, breath only seeping in. The bleeding bull's eye in the center of his forehead marked the bullet's entry point. He was gone. A week later, he opened his eyes again to find himself staring at a hospital ceiling. It wasn't the ceiling he saw, though. He saw past it. Beyond it. He was opening his eyes for the first time. And what did you see, Mr. Lyle? I brought him a little. I'm afraid I'm losing him. Where is he right now, I wonder? Not here. Never here. What was it you wanted to share with your victims? The illusion that is our lives. Well, since you won't have the opportunity to literally drill it into my head, why don't you just try to explain it to me? That's not how it works. Did it ever occur to you that these thoughts, these visions, came after your head injury because they represent some kind of brain damage? That maybe you should have sought help instead of pursuing this course? No one can help me now. And why is that? Because innocence lost can never be regained, like a bloodstain on a white carpet. That seems funny to me. I don't know why. My wife would probably just try club soda. I really wish I hadn't said that, especially after I see his reaction. Tell me about your wife. Tell me about your victims. Is that why you did this to them? In hopes that they would come to see, too? So you wouldn't have to be alone? We're all alone, Doctor. Then why bother? Why make the effort if you're so certain that it doesn't matter? To unravel the meaningless realities we've constructed around ourselves. Another flowery non-answer. Do you think you were successful in doing this? Well, it's a start. Meaning the only reason he stopped is because he was stopped. Why? What did you think the consequences of your actions would be? I don't think there are any consequences. No consequences, and no consequence. But you knew you'd be caught, eventually. There's a gleam in his eye like a child with a secret. Oh, yes. You wanted to be caught. If you wanted to be caught, he wanted to be stopped. That would show some hidden understanding of right and wrong, at least. But that's not his reasoning. I guess you could say that. It's time to pass the baton, I think. I don't understand. Don't worry about it. 
you'll get it. I believe in you. Mr. Lyle, do you understand the seriousness of your situation? Competence to stand trial can mean the difference between medical treatment or the death sentence. You're playing with your life here, so don't think you can impress me with crazy talk. I'm a professional. I know the difference between madness and pretense. So why don't you just tell me what turned you from an agent of the law to a killer? Fear, Dr. Matheson, is an entirely relative concept. Some people fear that if they wear the wrong brand of shoes, they'll look unattractive to strangers they'll never likely see again. Some people fear the dark. Fear that something lurks within it that is somehow not there when an incandescent bulb is switched on. Some people fear ghosts, which are nothing more than memories. And everyone, Doctor, everyone is afraid of death. The only true inevitability. Do you see how meaningless these fears are? How ridiculous it is that we are debilitated by them? Fear springs from ignorance. It is the unknown that we fear. We fear these common things because we are unable to fathom the truly terrifying. And what might that be, Mr. Lyle? Reality. True reality. Not our constructed one. How did you come by this understanding, Mr. Lyle? When I was asleep, Doctor, for six days, Hovering between life and death, my mind free to expand for the first time since birth, I saw the reality of our little existence. What did you see? I saw God. The Christian God. He's darkly amused at the idea. No, no. A God of no religion. And did this God talk to you? No. What did he do? He closes his eyes, conjuring the image in his head. As he speaks, he unconsciously puts his hand on the bullet hole scar in the middle of his forehead. His back was turned to us, Doctor. He was moving away from us. Away. He was already so very distant, and every moment moving further away. To heaven? He opens his eyes to peer intently at me. No heaven, no hell, just empty space. No right, no wrong, no destiny, no purpose. Just us, him, and empty space. No right, no wrong. No good, doctor. No evil, no black, no white, no gray. All of these concepts we came up with, doctor rules by which we play this game because we need rules to understand our lives by or we go insane <laughs> insanity another one of our inventions do you understand that an injured brain can misinterpret sights and sounds and create hallucinations I do just as I understand that people of science once believed the earth was flat a ridiculous notion to us but to them reality we cling to our truths, Doctor. We create them, and then we cling to them. But not you. You got a bullet to the brain, and now you're above that sort of thing. And for that, I am considered evil. I'm the crazy one.
because I don't believe the lie that is our society, our collective culture, our contrived understanding of reality. So you're saying there's no right or wrong. I am. You're an intelligent man, Mr. Lyle. You know that you can't stand trial if you don't understand the difference between right and wrong. So how do I know you're serious? If there's no God, pardon me, no God as we understand it, no right or wrong and no consequences, why did you kill these people? If nothing matters anyway, what was it you were trying to accomplish? For all of history, we've moved in one direction, followed the same course. Everything that you understand as reality is our invention. Everything. My actions have set in motion a new course of events. Soon this reality will unravel, and a new one will be revealed. One that is mindful of the truth. Only then will we have nothing to fear. So you don't acknowledge that your actions were wrong. I understand that the world as you know it would believe them to be. But I must say again, I didn't murder anyone. But they died as a result of your trepanation. No. He still won't accept that. I believe they died because they were unprepared to adapt to the truth. And what makes you so special then? Why is it everyone exposed to this truth but you has died? You misunderstand me, Doctor. Eight of them died. Not all of them. And that's all I can take for right now. Kenny made his way cautiously down the long, narrow hallway. His breaths came out short and heavy. He held his sidearm with both hands at waist level. Funny how a pistol seems to get heavier the closer you are to danger. At that moment it felt like it weighed about 50 pounds. His search for the Morning Star Killer had brought him to this place, a desperate hunt for the man he knew had once been his partner. Now that he was here, he wasn't sure if he wanted to confirm his suspicions. He wasn't sure if he could face the man he had failed, the friend he had left to die. Now he had to redeem that mistake by finishing the job. He had to kill him. Again. He kicked in the apartment door and charged inside. No one was there. He was alone for the moment. The living room was wallpapered with news clippings of the Morning Star's crimes. Red handprints supplemented the grotesque decor. Kenny noticed with mounting horror that some of the handprints were too small to belong to an adult. He could hear the crying of a baby from the next room and went to investigate. Inside the bedroom he found the man that had been Sam Lyle, his partner. Now he looked like something else entirely. His hair and eyebrows had been shaved away. A black star tattoo touched the crow's foot of his left eye like an impossible obsidian tear. The bullseye bullet wound in his forehead still looked fresh. There was an unidentifiable bundle of something dead on the bed behind him. He cradled the baby in his arms. I am the Morning Star, he said to Kenny. 
the sound of his voice a whisper that had somehow drowned out the infant's desperate wail. The sound resumed, unattended, until the child's cries echoed the tension in the room. Kenny trained the sights of his pistol on the bullet hole in Sam's head, but the idea of shooting him there again seemed absurd. The shadowless shadow of a man found no humor or humanity in this reluctance. In the corner of his eye, a flash of motion alerted Kenny to an oncoming attack. It was one of the Morningstar's followers, a woman with a bullseye mark on her forehead still trickling crimson down her face. She wasn't especially strong, but she came out of nowhere and hit him hard with the force of a lunatic. Kenny shifted his weight, shoving the woman aside. Wheeling back around to face the Morningstar killer, he saw that he was no longer there. Only the baby remained, lying on the bed and wailing its unanswered cry. Looking quickly from left to right, he could see that there was nothing else in the room. Then something slipped over his head and around his neck. A powerful tug jerked him back, and he fell to the floor, looking up to see the killer hovering over him. He'd been standing right behind. Recovering, the woman leapt atop his prone body and clenched her bony fingers around his throat. The force of the fall and the pressure around his throat weakened Kenny against the woman's strength. He tried to struggle, but gained no leverage. The killer put his palm on Kenny's forehead. You have to let go, man, he said, and actually sounded like his old friend a moment. You're still trying to be something, but it's all a lie. Kenny squirmed some more, but his strength seemed to have permanently left him. Then he saw the nail driven through the killer's hand, feeling its tip press into his forehead. And the other, he saw with panic that the killer had raised a hammer. He flailed to break himself free, but could not overpower the Morning Star and his mad disciple. There is no being, the killer said calmly. There is only becoming. And then he brought down the hammer. Dr. William Matherson, continuing interview with suspect Sam Lyle, the so-called Morning Star Killer. September 8th, 6.23 a.m. So how were you captured, Mr. Lyle? Who brought you in? That's a matter of record. I suppose it is. He was your partner, wasn't he? He still is. I doubt he'd see it that way. He'll come around. He's not acquainted with the full facts. Darkness is not the absence of light, Doctor. It's the pure reality of our true consciousness rising up to eclipse the illusion of reality that awaits us in the light of day. And how many have you made to see the truth? You said there were more than just eight. We are legion. Those who failed to convert are but a fraction of those who see. And I believe him too. Legion. They are among us then, even now, while we feel secure in keeping him locked up. So they, like you, came to see the light? Oh no, Doctor. They're the ones who've come to see the dark. I see the faces of the other patients as I pass by their cells, and I wonder. They're all so restless now, like animals when an earthquake is coming. They all seem to sense it. 
They pace back and forth, wailing and ranting. They see what we don't, then. Is that it? How many of these patients have head wounds? I never noticed before. Most of them have some kind of bandage around their heads. Have they just been banging them on the walls, or did they all get them the same way? Is Lyle's bullseye calling card hidden under every visor, every helmet, every hat I see? How many are in his legion? And are they still growing? Are they all insane? Or do they really know something we don't? What makes us become what we are? Where is the faith or the lack of it? Where do we get the ability to reason? Is it sane to see the world that way? And why not? I throw my coat on the couch as I step in the door, barely acknowledging my wife. I can't get these thoughts out of my head. It's like they're stuck up in there. I just wish I could unplug it, let them out. Is Lyle so wrong about the world? Is it sane to see the world that way? And why not? Why not? Slowly, off in the darkness, a figure comes into focus. Six days I fell through the blackness, the nothingness of the dark. The figure in the void is clearer now, more visible, but always slightly out of focus. I can't see his face, his back is turned to me. I saw the god of the void. I learned the mystery of shadows, the nothing that is everything. He turns his head to me. It's Lyle. I know it is. His eyes are closed. On the seventh day, I open my eyes. He's opening his eyes now, looking right at me. Come and see. I open my eyes wide, perhaps for the first time. I'm in bed. So many still sleep. Celia is still asleep. She doesn't wake up. She's still asleep when I re-enter the room. She hasn't woken yet. But she will. Her eyes flutter lazily open as she feels the tip of the screwdriver press into her forehead, something stinging my eyes, blurring the image of her. She looks red as Christmas. She doesn't even see the hammer. There is no being, I say to her and something warm trickles past my upper lip and into my mouth. There is only becoming. I bring the hammer down. This production featured the music of Brooks Robinson, Lane Pierce, Steve Russell, Don Hendricks, and Sean Gilbert. We hope you enjoyed the program.